Welcome to the Meta Cafe hosted today by Cointelegraph Turkey YouTube. Today I'm having a discussion with Nader Debit, a builder and content creator in the Web3 space and not just on Ethereum, and founder of developer DAO. I'm so excited about this chat. Our sponsor today, Web3 Talent Marketplace, Talently app, and thanks for this cool head team. Welcome, Nader. Thank you for having me. Uh, happy to be here. Yeah, I'm super excited to chat with you. Nether is the director of developer relations at both Aave and Lance Protocol, by the way. He's an advocate for tools with solutions like the Permaweb you can use now, like RBWave, RWave. And he's active not just on Twitter, but also on Lancer and staying in touch with Web3 developers. Let's begin with you, Nether. What is your background since when? Have you been in the Web3 space? And tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. So I've been a software developer for a little over 10 years, and I've been working both in the traditional tech world as well as the blockchain space during my career. For the first eight years of my career, I was working either as a developer or I was working as what's known as a developer advocate, which is kind of like educating developers how to build software. I've worked with companies like AWS, And I've also run my own company for a while. And then I joined the Web3 uh, blockchain space in early 2021. And I've worked now with a couple of different companies. I've worked with the Graph Protocol. I've worked with Celestia. And now I'm currently working with uh, Lens Protocol and Aave. Perfect. Now, there are at least three important projects you are involved in, including one new founder developer, DAO. The Lens is a protocol that allows developers to build applications using a composable and decentralized social graph. Aave is an open source and non-custodial liquidity protocol. The developer DAO value proposition is a community of thousands of Web3 builders creating a better internet. It's a lot, right? Inspiring, like fire all of them. And... Today, I want to focus on you as a director of developer relations at Aave and Lance Protocol. I would like to learn more about the developer DAO community and for our Turkish audience and your plans for a better future in Web3. You are a content creator and at the same time a builder for different companies. I would like to start right here. How do you feel about how you are managing to carry this different and various responsibilities. Yeah, it's definitely quite a lot. And I try to balance my time by being very, I would say, intentional about what is happening on my day-to-day by scheduling things and putting them in my calendar and trying to kind of focus on the most impactful things. But I do often find myself involved in uh, quite a few things and quite a lot. But my personality is kind of very, very inquisitive and curious. So I like to learn new things and I like to experiment with new things. So it's actually kind of fun for me to to be doing so much. But yeah, I would say most of my time and my energy right now is focused on Lens Protocol. And then also we're going to be launching some interesting stuff with Aave in the new year. So I'll be focusing more of my time uh, there as well. But I think that after being in this space for a little under two years now, which isn't that long, But, you know, often people say it's a long time, but it's also not a long time. You know, it just depends. But uh, for me, it's kind of enough time to understand where I want to spend my time and where I think the most opportunities kind of lie right now. And I feel 
very, very excited and that I get to work with the technologies that are interesting to me. And I think that all the stuff that I get to work on with my team are really interesting to me. So things like social social graph, but, but essentially enabling people around the world to use blockchain applications that are kind of more real world because most applications that people use are social graphs. So I think building out primitives that allow Web3 types of applications to be social applications makes a lot of sense. But also uh, we're launching a stable coin at Aave very soon, and that's going to be a big deal for us. And also just DeFi in general was like one of the original use cases that kind of got me interested. So I get to kind of focus on all those things at once. But really what got me into this role was Lens Protocol. It was one of the things that I had been building on since it came out before I, I started working here. I was already building and, and creating open source and teaching how to use it. And a lot of the people that came into the protocol that were developers kind of had learned through some of my educational resources. So I think that it was like a good fit for me to kind of uh, come and focus on it full time. Perfect. Like it's a lot, but inspiring again. I, I really like that kind of curiosity and passion for learning everything and high energy people. I'm kind of similar. I'm helping the startups. And at the same time, I'm creating contents for Web3, like for increased literacy for Web3 in Turkey. I think we are using our skill set to help these companies and projects. And also you are helping the growth of space by creating educational and inspiring content on YouTube, on your blog. And I'm thinking, I'm curious about your opinion. Some investors, founders and CEOs don't have a strong incentive for people who work with them to have a wide variety of skills and goals in their professional life. And again, I don't believe we have a separate professional lives and also like the other lives. And if you have a passion and some goals for yourself, everything is together and symbiotic to me. What are the difficulties or advantages for you that come from this? And I'm really curious about how do you avoid when people say you are too busy to balance all these responsibilities or do they? How do you avoid these comments or change their mind? Yeah, it's often, it is often kind of hard to juggle like between personal and work life because like when you are passionate about something and when you enjoy doing something, then you often will do that when you're not really like getting paid to do that or there's no incentive to do that. You're just maybe bored and that's what you want to spend your time doing just like a hobby. I think that's how it is for me. Like on the weekends, if I'm not spending time with my family or anything like that, like some people might go uh, fishing or they might like, you know, go play their guitar or they might go do, I don't know, whatever their hobby is. Like for me, my hobby is the same thing that I do for work. So it often is hard to kind of figure out where that balance is. But it's like a good thing. I think like, you know, we're lucky to find something that we are passionate about that aligns with us in our career because, you know, there is a lot of like research that just says like the more that you do something, the better that you are at it, obviously, you know, like practice, right? So if you're, if, if, if the thing that you like to do is what you're doing in your free time, you just by nature end up having more experience and doing it. Maybe that makes you more like capable, like at that thing that you're doing. But um, I think the biggest challenge for me in that regard is really with my family, because, you know, I want to make sure I have time to spend with them and 
sometimes I get tied up at work late at night or uh, on the weekends, I like, you know, I'm on my computer too much and stuff like that. <laughs> I know I've been there. And last weekend, honestly, I was really excited about ChatGPT and like play a lot with ChatGPT. Oh, yeah. For- <laughs> yeah, you too, probably. And I forgot my laptop at office and I came to pick up my laptop from office at Sunday, but office was locked. <laughs> I couldn't pick up and it was like a little bit pain, but maybe it, it's, it will be better. I don't know. It's, what, what are you thinking about uh, ChatGPT, by the way? Yeah, I think it's really, really, really powerful and it's going to open the door to so much stuff. It definitely is one of those, those technologies that's finally mature enough that we're getting past like the, oh, it can do these things to, oh, it is actually doing these things today. Because I think when AI and ML like first came about in the, in the popular discussions, it was still so early that the ideas were there, but the actual implementation wasn't quite there. So there was like a lot of hype cycles that went up and down, but there wasn't like, I would say, a you know really, really accessible way for the average developer to kind of build with this stuff. Um, there were people doing stuff with it, but it wasn't accessible to, to the average person. I think ChatGPT and also these image processing APIs and stuff are like now becoming accessible to everybody. I think that's kind of like what crypto is going through as well. Like we have gone through a couple of cycles where things get hyped up. The, te- the, the maturity of the technology isn't quite there yet. And I think once it gets there, it's going to be really, really explosive. But we still have a lot of work to do. But it's a good analogy, I think, between like what's happening in the blockchain world and you know what's happening there with AI. Yeah, exactly. I'm ChatGPT. Meet Journey is like great instruments. Let's jump to an often perceived position for developers, which is developer relations. I want to show to our Turkish audience their really curiosity and they need inspire a lot. What does developer relations actually do? Yes. So developer relations is a role that focuses around helping developers become successful is kind of like the way I would just simply put it. And that can mean a lot of different things. But like the day-to-day role of a developer advocate often has a lot of different things that you focus on. So, you know, you probably need some software development experience because you're probably going to be needing to understand like the questions and the concerns of developers. And the best way to understand that is to having had run into those same challenges yourself, maybe in the past. Um, And then also there's a lot of communication. There's a lot of education. There's a lot of, I would say, like content creation. And there's definitely a lot of communication though. I think one of the things that you do the most is like communicate with people within the community or people that are out there building, or you're out there telling the world about the software that your company is building. And really, it's kind of like a new form of almost like, I would say it it crosses a lot of different boundaries, but Mm -hmm. it, it has some aspects to almost like marketing. Because like, if you're doing a good job of developer relations, then a lot of people are going to know about your product. And then hopefully they're going to try it out. And then also part of developer uh, relations is to make sure that when someone does use your product, that they're successful. So therefore, you want to make sure that you are focusing on having high quality documentation and helping those teams like get where they're at. And I think it just depends on the size of the team, like what the role of the developer advocate is. Because if it's a huge team, 
then the scope will probably be a little more narrow because you'll be able to focus just on the things that you might think of in the developer advocate role. But if it's a small team, then there might be a lot of overlap between marketing and content creation for the actual documentation itself and maybe even engineering and stuff. So, but yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's hard to put like a, a really definite answer to what a developer advocate is. It kind of depends on the scenario, but essentially it's kind of like a person that's out there educating developers about the software that the company is building and helping them become successful. I think the main thing is like success, helping developers become successful. Yeah. Yeah. It's really excited position. And I was wondering, it's a, is it at a conscious level or is it still in development stage of awareness within Web3 companies? Yeah, it's starting to become very popular. It's definitely a really fun role if you're wanting to get into it because you do get to travel and go to events and conferences. And you don't have to, like if you're an engineer, you often will have to focus on building out a single code base or a single product for months or even years. But when you're a developer advocate, you often get to experiment with new code bases and create new things and experiment with cutting edge technology. So it's really, you know, kind of fun if you like that type of stuff. But the actual awareness and the demand for developer relations continues to like get go higher, I would say. There seems to be a lot of uh, demand. There's so many companies out there that are hiring for this role. And I don't know how the bear market will affect that. Like, you know, it's hard to tell if that's going to go down in the next six months to a year. I don't really know. But I would say mm-hmm. like a lot of teams are prioritizing DevRel like just as much as engineering. You're seeing the, the pay for DevRel go up and up. And it's also a very hard role to hire for, actually, because, you know, it's hard enough to find a high quality engineer, you know, like that's a really in demand position, right? Like if you find a good engineer, you know, they often have a lot of uh, other offers and, you know, it's not it's not like it's simple to go out there and find a good engineer. But a developer advocate is often a good engineer and then also a good communicator and also a good content creator. And they're good on social media and they you know, know how to speak in front of people. So like, you're kind of like having all these demands of a person and, and it's often hard to find someone that kind of fills all those. So yeah, they're definitely in demand mainly because it's just kind of a hard role to fill, you know? Yeah. I was asked about like what hard and soft skills do you think the people who will take this position as a like developer relations director should have? And you like mentioned a little bit, but what do you think, like, what hard and soft skills do you think the people who will take this position? So as far as hard skills, I think definitely being at least an intermediate level uh, developer engineer, being able to kind of read a code base and understand what's going on is definitely, you know, I think one of the things that I would probably put as somewhat high on the list. Uh, also, just being un- able to understand the jargon and, and the, the things like uh, what is an API and what type of API and like, you know, HTTP requests and, you know, authentication, authorization. There's a lot of stuff that you're going to run into, I think, that uh, you have to understand the context to be able to be helpful. So like that that would be uh, up there at the top. And then the other thing would probably be communication skills. And that doesn't mean just communication skills like verbally, but also like written being able to clearly and, and easily communicate with people online. I think like, you know, obviously, you know, more and more communication is done that way. Maybe all of it now at this point. But for uh, for me, like about half of my day is just communication, just answering uh, messages on Twitter and Telegram and Discord and email. Uh, 
yeah, just a very important part of it. So like, yeah, communication, uh, software engineering skills, and then maybe having like one skill in addition to those two things that kind of sets you apart around content creation. Now that could either mean you're a very good writer or you know how to create YouTube videos or you know how to maintain a high quality social media profile that is growing and that knows how to engage people. Like one of those three things would probably be another good thing to have. Yeah, I agree with you. And I can imagine like it's a lot of hard and soft skills combined and like growing in developer relations manager and positions. And I want to break here and I want to talk about like right here, our sponsor for five episodes, the Talently. And with Talently app, you can easily claim your profile and build a professional Web3 presence. The platform allows you to highlight your unique skills and experiences, connect with potential Web3 brands and employers, and showcase your verified resume in Web3, which is amazing because in this space, we need our verified skills on-chain for a better workplace and fair salaries and to own our work and also uh, for faster and healthier recruitment in Web3. I'm also curious about your ideas about platforms that provide on-chain verified resume manager and faster purchases like Talently app. Do you think having our on-chain verified identities in the future will contribute to decentralization? Would you use, for example, Talently app for recruitment? <laughs> the sponsor is aesthetic now. Uh, Yeah, so you're talking about like well, like verified uh, identities online. Is that what you're kind of pointing to? Yeah, I think that definitely having a better implementation of identity is is going to be huge. I have no idea what it's going to look like at this point because I think there's like just countless people building their own thing, and a lot of them are doing so in a silo, which um, often you know, is going to end up being the opposite of what we want because uh, we don't want fragmentation. We want to kind of come to some conclusion that we can all agree upon. And when people implement decentralized identifiers in different ways, then they're having inconsistencies, I think, with how those identifiers are created. Because if I create a decentralized identifier based on my Ethereum wallet, and someone else creates one based on my email address and someone else creates one based on my phone number or whatever, these all, all of these are all different identifiers And if there isn't a way to kind of like come together for a single like implementation of how this is going to work, then we're going to end up having the same problem that we have now where you have like a hundred different identities and profiles and you can't remember which one you use. So I don't know what the answer to this is. It's interesting because like the the nature of like the software industry is to create something and own it and then monetize it as opposed to having something that's like a public good. And mm-hmm. I think like the people that are, you know, often building these solutions for I- decentralized identity are kind of wanting to own the entire space because they know that they can probably make money off of it. They succeed. So, but I don't know enough about Talently to kind of like answer how they're doing it. But just in general, the ident- decentralized identifiers, I think are like a really, I think it's definitely going to be how this is done, but I don't know the actual implementation that succeeds. And I think we're pretty far away from knowing what that looks like anyway. So on a different note, we are curious. What is the permaweb? Oh, yeah. So that's another <laughs> area that is really interesting to me for sure. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> so the idea that 
the permaweb is kind of came out of a protocol called Arweave. But kind of taking a step back, I've worked at AWS for over three years, and we have a really great set of high-quality primitives for software developers to build applications. And I thought it was really cool to work there because people that have an idea don't have to kind of build out these Mm -hmm. infrastructure pieces from scratch. They can kind of just use ours and they can get up and running building quickly. But there are limitations on some of these that are due to the nature of how these, I would say, building blocks kind of function. And one of the limitations is around storage. So when we store something on a database or when we store something in something like S3 on Amazon, then there is no guarantee that data is going to be there ever. Like that, there literally is no guarantee that that data could actually be deleted tomorrow due to a million different reasons. Like we could forget to pay our bill or someone could hack our account or we could stroke the wrong key in our terminal and drop the database. There's a million things that could happen. But I think like we've gotten used to not having any other options. So that's kind of how we've just gotten used to operating. But I think one of the things that blockchain architectures bring to the table in addition to kind of like a shared execution environment is mm-hmm. immutability and permanence. And in the past, like we we're very limited on what that could actually do because it was so expensive to store information on a blockchain. So Bitcoin, for example, stores only a ledger of transactions and nothing else. And then we had Ethereum, which kind of came around and allowed you to, to store state, but it's still very expensive to store on Ethereum. So therefore, we've had more scalable solutions like pop-ups since then, things like Solana, uh, things like mm-hmm. L2s. Now, all these are attempts at, at scaling the speed and scaling the cost and scaling like the efficiency just in general. But we've never really had a way to store files. Everything like on a blockchain is typically a small piece of data, like a string or a number or like something like that, you wouldn't probably store like an entire website or something on the blockchain because it's just prohibitively expensive um, due to the nature of those architectures. So like, I think with the evolution of data storage, we've had like databases, we've had things like file storage, like S3, we've had Bitcoin, then we have smart contract platforms like Ethereum and then uh, L2s and stuff. And I think like the next evolution beyond that is where we're able to store large files but have the same guarantees as a blockchain. And that is permanence and immutability. And I think the first protocol to actually make this uh, a thing happen is Arweave. And Arweave allows you to store files, but also to host applications forever. And the way that it works is that they have a built-in, into the protocol, they have this endowment that kind of incentivizes the people running the architecture to store the information on their servers for X number of years. And file storage actually is extremely cheap and is getting cheaper and cheaper. So uh, based on like, you know, the current state of things and the future state of things, these calculations say that if you store something on Arweave, it's going to be there for at least 200 years, possibly up to 10,000 years or longer. Now, you never really probably will need something that long, but that's really great to have. And knowing that you can do that is like opening the doors, I think, to a lot of like interesting use cases. So one of those ideas is what you just mentioned, the permaweb. So like, what if we were able to build immutable and censorship-resistant applications that literally we don't have to worry about uh, them failing just because they will always be there? So like, if I host my website somewhere, I have to continue paying the hosting fee every month or my 
website will go down. I have to keep up with my credit card. I have to deal with a lot of stuff. But with the Arweave, you pay like a single transaction fee and that transaction fee goes to that endowment and keeps that data uh, available and, and accessible. So yeah, perma, the PermaWeb is just essentially building applications with these new primitives like built into your app. So like never having to worry about your application going down, your PermaWeb app would be there and you don't have to, to mess with it. And I think it's really, really cool to have that guarantee. And it's something that we're kind of just not used to. <laughs> yeah, it's really different and interesting. And it's like a, a different planet, but livable planet. And yeah. I, it's it's kind of like really interesting opportunity. And it was a really, really good answer, by the way. Another thank you so much. Like you explained all of the details. I'm sure like our audience like will be enjoy from this answer and PermaWeb. And they will like search more about PermaWeb. And yeah, thank you again. And let's talk about Lance Protocol. It's an amazing branding effort perfect community management, and a very Web3-friendly interface. Tell us the formulas for this. What do you think? Yeah, there's there's a million things that I, that I could say about Lens that I'm excited about. And I'll try to kind of like focus on the most important things in, in, in my eyes. So first of all, when we think about the use cases of blockchain technologies, a lot of them have been focused on a small number of use cases beyond payments. I think payments... It's a very obvious real-world mm-hmm. use case that everyone can really easily grasp and understand. If they've ever dealt with anything through banks, uh, the idea of being able to just create a wallet and a few seconds later receive a payment anywhere in the world internationally is really, really cool. But I think like beyond that initial use case, the actual things that people have been building over the, the last couple of years have actually not been that I would say, useful for the average person in the world. Payments definitely are, but everything else I think are not. So a good example of this is like, you know, NFTs have become the new, or during the last year, I would say, became like the new hype thing along with DAOs. And both of these things are kind of interesting to us, I think, because we're already in this culture and we are already having wallets and we have tokens and we we're, we have ways to access these these NFTs and stuff. But I think for the average person, it just doesn't click for them because there isn't a lot of like problems that that's really solving for them. And the barrier to entry actually to even interact and, and start trading NFTs or, or all this stuff is actually quite high because, you know, you have to have an understanding of how wallets and wallet security works. You have to understand how to integrate the proper network within your wallet. The wallet UX is very bad for that because uh, by default, you might be on Ethereum or Solana, depending on the wallet that you install. But a lot of the stuff happening is on other networks. So in order to do that, you have to understand the RPC endpoint and the chain ID and all this stuff. It's very, very complex. And let's say that someone does get onboarded with a wallet. They didn't have to have the actual exact right token on the right network uh, to even interact with any of these applications. And then on top of that, we're asking them to pay uh, for the transaction costs that they're used to not having to pay for. Like if I use Twitter and I like a tweet, or I post something, then it's free because the infrastructure is being subsidized by the application layer. There is a cost there, but it's being subsidized by the app and I don't have to pay, but we're also asking users to pay to transact. So like we're, we're, we're having use cases that don't appeal to everyone and we're asking them to jump through a lot of hoops. And therefore we've only 
like reached a few tens of thousands of, of people, I think, for these these use cases, maybe max, in my opinion, in the hundreds of thousands, if we're like being generous. And we're all just like building applications for each other. We're not really building applications for the average person outside of our bubble. Like you'll see, oh, I created this new app that like token gates, like this, you know, this token based on the NFT in your wallet. But like in order to use that app, you already have to have already been involved in all this stuff, right? What I think is what we need is like applications that have the high quality improvements that blockchain technology can bring to the table into the real world use cases that most people actually care about that have a better overall user experience and that they understand. And I think social media is a very obvious use case. When we think about the internet, I think there's like 5 billion people online. You can almost guarantee that 99% of them have used a social graph type of application. That could be TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. All these are social graph applications. They all have the same exact patterns built in, believe it or not. You create a profile, you follow other users, you create content, and you view other content. Those same primitives, those core primitives are all that you could kind of like really, I would say, distill from all these main applications. And I think that when Lens came out, it was the first time I'd seen someone like really give it a shot to bring in some of the the value propositions of blockchain and integrate them with the existing use case that someone is already very familiar with. And then also go beyond that and kind of create and try to lower the barrier to entry for both developers and users. So you don't require things like tokens to interact. And for a developer, you don't require them to understand blockchain development. And uh, with the on the developer side, they've built out a really high quality API that allows developers to build on Lens without knowing how to, to, to create blockchain applications. And for the user, they've integrated the ability for most applications that are live, I think all applications that are live, to have gasless transactions, meaning that you don't need to have any token to use the, the application because of the low-cost network fees, just like Twitter is subsidizing their infrastructure costs, Lens is, infra- is subsidizing their infrastructure costs, but it's you know just low-cost low transactions on Polygon. Um, another, another thing that they've implemented that I think is important is this idea of a dispatcher, which really all it means is that you don't have to sign every transaction when you're interacting on the app. So you can like a tweet or a post, you can, you can share a post, you can create your own posts. All these things can happen on the app without you having to sign a transaction every time. So therefore, the user experience is a lot closer to what people are used to, but there are features that are built into it that kind of set it apart from the average social media application. So that's kind of like a, the gist of it. You know, even if we only get like 0.1% of uh, the internet adoption on um, on Lens, we're still at like, you know, I think 50 million users or something like that. So I think like we're, that's, that's what we're shooting for is to, to, uh, to get decent amount of adoption around the world through bringing a real world use case that people are familiar with. And then like once they're onboarded, they actually have a wallet. And I think that's huge because if we bring 50 million people on, online with the wallet, then they can start using DeFi and payments and all these other things that that we are already familiar with. But I think onboarding them through those very low-quality user experiences, it doesn't make sense. It should be the other way around. We we onboard them through a high-quality, easy-to-use user experience. And then once they have the wallet, 
then we can maybe introduce them to NFTs and we can introduce them to DeFi and all these other things. Yeah, amazing project. And like, and I read about like from your blog post, actually, in May 22, and before you joining Celestia, you started experimenting with Lens Protocol, right? And you created a video tutorial and starter project that received solid feedback from quite a few people and led to creation of a few projects from the others in the Lens ecosystem. How was your experience and what happened to you at Lance Protocol? I think this is an inspiring part of your journey in Lance, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's the power of uh, the internet is that if you yeah. see someone, like there's opportunities that come about like literally every day. If you see someone create, like with Lens, it was obvious that this was a huge effort by this team. They spent like a year trying to figure out the best way to make this possible. And they built this thing for a year. They launched it. If you come out of the woodwork and you help support them and make them successful, they're going to actually notice you. And they then opportunities might come from that. And I think that's kind of what happened with uh, with that video is that like I saw that this was really, really cool. Obviously, they had spent a lot of time, effort, money, you know, hours building this thing. If I went out there and tried to help them, then hopefully, you know, I would have some good things came out of that. Um, good things that came out of that for me. I mean, a lot of people became successful on building on Lens, but also the team noticed that I created that video and they reached out to me and we ended up having conversations that ultimately led to me working with them. So like, I think, but I think there's opportunities <laughs> like that, like that every day, you know, people yeah. really are out there trying to make the things that they build successful. And if you can help them become successful, then you can often find opportunities just by doing that. Yes, just like create possibilities for opportunities. <laughs> yeah. I think is the, the right term. By the way, I love your background, the Banksy flower tour. And Thank you. Yeah, it's <laughs> kind of meaningful for me because it's like a couple, maybe it's like six or seven years ago, we had a like big protest in Istanbul, which is called Gezi Drenish. And we use a lot Banksy's flower Trover for this protest. I like it. It's like I need to find for me is like cool background also. <laughs> it's reminding me. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. got it when I was um in, in Bethlehem actually. There's oh. um uh, an exhibit where this painting originated. And at that exhibit, a lot of the, the locals have created prints and that they're selling them, you know, to make extra money. So I bought a few of them when I was there. Oh, wonderful. So Finally, we came on Developer DAO, and it's a great project as well. Would you like to explain more to our amazing, curious Turkish audience about what it can do for them? Yeah, Developer DAO is basically a community, nonprofit community of developers that the main focus is around education and career advancement, and really just around upskilling people to land jobs as developers. A lot of it has to do with blockchain stuff, but uh, really just anyone that wants to learn uh, software development, we hopefully can kind of like upskill them. And really our main focus has everything to do with skills and nothing to do with investment or trading. So we don't really focus on anything around like tokens or, or shilling or any of that stuff. Because like, I think the main thing that comes out of what we're doing is that 
regardless of the market conditions. If you have a high quality skill set, then you will be able to make money. And then you can do whatever you would like with that money. You could invest it or you could do whatever. But like, we're not there to kind of like talk about that. We're there to, to hopefully make you a successful engineer or whatever you want to be. And therefore, you then find a job. And if the market's good, the market's bad. Really, if you're a, a high quality engineer, you're probably not going to have to worry about job security. And yeah, I think that's, that's kind of the main idea there. So we've done a lot of different things like events, real world in-person meetups, We've done educational content and courses. We have a YouTube channel and it's kind of come to a life of its own. I'm not as involved now. I created it and I still show up every day and, and hang out and stuff, but I don't have a lot of, I would say, like involvement in the governance and stuff like that anymore. Yeah, I can imagine. And I will put links, the comments for developer, DAO, Twitter, Discord, and website as well. And thank you, another. For me, genuinely, before the end of the year, an amazing opportunity to interview with you. I love the spaces like naturally global, friendly and supportive. And I feel lucky that I can contribute to this space. I'm happy to have you today at Meta Cafe on the Cointelegraph Turkey YouTube page for all the Turkish audience. That is content and your sincere persona in the Web3 space and inspiring and full of information. Well, it's been an honor to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I had a good time. Next week, new interviews and new people are coming to your screen on Mate Cafe. Today, the episode is sponsored by the Web3 Talent Marketplace Talently app. Claim your profile on Talently for free or on-chain verified resume. Please try to launch. Also, check the developer their community. And please follow us on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts as the Meta Cafe. If you want to support us, we are open to sponsors for the next episodes. Just feel free to reach out to us. Bye.